Hi everyone and welcome to the Panama Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Uh, delighted to welcome a new guest to the show today. Um, someone I've just encountered recently through a friend of mine and who I'm currently becoming a fan of. Um, she is uh, a mental health advocate, uh, an artist and a writer, does all sorts of stuff. Um, and she's got a really great story. So I'm, exi- I'm excited to welcome Elle Rose to the show. Welcome. Hi. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's very exciting. Um, second podcast I've done in a week for some reason. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, it comes like that, doesn't it, sometimes? I, I find that I'm recording, because I record my episodes in advance, so I often like recording like three or four in a week and then don't record any the next week. That's a good way to do it, I think, to get ahead of your work as much as you can, for sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely, I, I like that. It means that I don't have to worry about not having an episode the next week, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so there you go, you just had the secrets of the podcast. Um, <laughs> um, <coughs> so, excuse me, so, so tell us a bit about, just tell us a bit about your story, um, and where, where do you want you me to begin? Because it's kind of a lifelong thing, so I'm not okay. Well, uh, oh gosh, yeah. been awesome. little guidance is always good. Well, kind of. I mean, your, your your journey, your kind of your experiences with mental health, uh, mental illness, and because you suffer from a number of conditions, um, yeah. and uh, so uh, there's one in particular that I think we really wanted to talk about. So, just kind of your experiences with that. Yeah, of course. So. Um, I uh, grew up uh, with a pretty, I would say, unbalanced childhood. I started um, experiencing severe depression when I was about 12. Mm. I was hospitalized for that at 13, went in and out of uh, partial hospitalization, which is like um, like intensive therapy programs for a few hours each, each time, or um, one was eight to five, Monday through Friday, um, which was kind of weird because you still get to go home and eat dinner but you ate lunch with the kids who were hospitalized for depression I did that from about the age of 12 to about 15 and then I was in a really awful relationship for a couple years that really messed a lot of things up then I broke up with him thankfully and um, I went to college at Taylor University and that's a college in the Midwest in the United States, Evangelical Christian College. And I wasn't even really super Christian, so I don't really know why I chose it, but it just felt right. Mm. And um, my freshman year, second semester, was like one of the most stressful periods of my life. Um, second high school boyfriend of a year and a half broke up with me. Um, I was in a relationship with someone who was too ashamed of that relationship to really continue it, even though he told me in private that he loved me, and that was very painful. I was in and out of the emergency room nine times for ovarian cysts, um, once for a painkiller that I was definitely allergic to that they gave me, so that was that was really yeah. awkward. Uh, yeah. And then a student on campus uh, died, and we thought it was a suicide, and... Everybody was like, kind of pulling me aside, being like, "Oh, you know, don't let this be you." And a week later, I attempted suicide, 
And when I lived, the college sat me down with the dean and the head of the counseling office and told me that my choices were to stay silent and stay in school or talk and be expelled. And I did that with my parents, too, and I didn't feel like I really had a choice, so I stayed for two more years, and college got increasingly difficult. Like, I would just lay in bed for hours and, like, not be able to do anything. I would... I would get focused on the wrong things all the time. I was very emotionally erratic. Um, I developed an eating disorder for a few years, which I actually have a Netta tattoo for. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, and I left college after two more years of that. Um, and I mm. tried to get help in college. And I was misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder. No, I wasn't diagnosed with bipolar disorder at that time. I, I'm sorry, that was later. Um, I was misdiagnosed with dysthymia, which is kind of a low-level depression, even though I very, very clearly had signs of major depressive disorder, um, with borderline personality disorder, and with um, bulimia, which is the only diagnosis he got right. I started seeing a therapist for that, and she was very degrading towards the eating disorder. Um, and I was started disassociating like all the time, like all my college years feel really, really weird. And if I look back at photographs, I like sometimes just like break down. It's very, it's a very traumatic thing to look back on, which mm. is very disappointing because it's not like it was all bad. And um, I didn't really, I didn't know what dissociation was. Nobody around me really did. So yeah, and then when I left college, I started seeing a new psychiatrist who misdiagnosed me again with bipolar disorder, um, first type one, then type two, with an eating disorder not otherwise specified, borderline, and um, anxiety. And the only thing she really had right was the eating disorder, which I have been recovered from for a couple years now. So I'm proud of that because that took a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, I went in and out of psychiatric hospitals it became like a, a twice a year thing from about 2014 to about um, 2017 was the last time I was in and I was on so many mood stabilizers and like each one of them just made my life a living hell but then I would go to these hospitals and they would observe me for like two weeks not diagnosing with any of the same stuff except depression and I would be on just antidepressants and I would not get manic at all, which is what reportedly happens if you have bipolar disorder, you're only on antidepressants. So I started to kind of trying to get my psychiatrist to prescribe me an antidepressant and a mood stabilizer. And I would buy both and just take the antidepressant. And I was like, I can't keep going to a doctor that I have to lie to to get adequate treatment from. So after that, I begged her to refer me to an outpatient psych program because I was also in and out of therapy this whole time and things like that. And it was like an intensive three-day-a-week thing. It was specifically for dissociation problems. Um, I, was like, I, I was like, I don't know if I have depersonalization, derealization disorder, but I wanted to find out. And the psychiatrist I sat down with in that was like, well, that's kind of rare, though, and basically told me you're not experiencing what you think you're experiencing. It's just depression, even though it had been going on for years, whether or not I was depressed. Mm. So that was that was so insulting. Mm. And in America, you can't really do anything outside of t- taking out, you know, funds for a lawyer. 
So after that, I went to a new psychiatrist and I started seeing a new therapist who actually herself had ADHD. And this new psychiatrist, I was like, look, I don't know if I just have bipolar disorder and I'm like resistant to medication. Some of my family members have ADHD. I seem to have some of the traits. I, I don't know what's going on. And she kind of was like, well, it, like, it could be a low-level bipolar disorder, like a low-level like a mood disorder, or it could be ADHD or both. And we tried a low dose of Adderall, and it was like, it was like putting, it, it was like I didn't know that my thoughts had volume and I could turn them down for the first time. It was so utterly surreal. But after that, I continued to experience problems with um, dissociation, with feeling like things are unreal, with feeling detached from myself, which for me is largely rooted in uh, trauma. And so after adjusting to an antidepressant and also to um, Adderall, to a dose of Adderall that really helped me, helped me so, so much, mm. my therapist and I for a few months continued to investigate um, possibility of derealization, depersonalization disorder. And I was, um, after we got the meds figured out and figured out that it wasn't just severe inattention, it's not just a depressive episode, because those can also be, they can factor into, like, dissociation can factor into inattention. Depression can cause dissociation symptoms, um, things like that. Uh, we then did the Cambridge depersonalization scale, and I scored, like, over 100 points that you need for a diagnosis. And so we diagnosed me with that as well. And now, um, my, excuse me, my previous therapist left her practice, and um, I miss her to death to help me so much. But my previous psychiatrist said that she would totally see me again, but she is not covered by my insurance. So I decided to try to get back on ADHD meds because you can't you, you can't really medicate depersonalization disorder, although there is some success um, for some patients with the drug Lamictal, but I have been on that and it made my life absolutely unlivable. It was when I was on all the mood stabilizers, like it's not, mm. it's not right for my brain. So we did that and the um, person I talked to was like, look, like I want to help you, but Medicaid requires a specific test. So actually this past week, um, I finally was able to get into a, a psych clinic get evaluated for ADHD and I have to turn in another like assessment for them mm. and um, like from like someone who knew me in childhood someone who knows me now and it was like a three hour test and I'm super nervous about it because there's really strong indicators that I have ADHD but you know if they don't agree with that then I'm just going to have to self-medicate by running like crazy <laughs> so mm. It's a, it's a long story. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is. And it's a, it's a very powerful story and um, quite raw. And, you know, that, I mean, it took a lot of courage to share that. So um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I found, I didn't for a long time, but I figured, I did it, um, I finally wrote it all down last year and I received a lot of support and I also shared it with people I went to college with. Mm. And so many of their reactions were like, I had no idea. Like they were, they were horrified. And I'm like, that's why I have to keep talking about this because, and Taylor's never responded to any of this, by the way, just completely ignored me. And like, 
I think that's that's why I have to keep talking about it because otherwise I know I'm not the only person who went through stuff like that at their hand. And if you don't talk about it, they just keep getting away with it unchecked. So, mm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so, it's so important to raise awareness about these yeah. kind of things because people don't always know and people don't always know what goes on and what people struggle with you can you can look fine on the surface you can look like you're managing but actually underneath you're not uh, absolutely yeah. and uh, you know and I, I've got anxiety and I am highly sensitive and you know have I've had my own kind of depressive episodes and I'm, so I'm aware of being able to look okay and fine on the surface and actually not be at all underneath yeah. because um, you can you carry I mean with the conditions I have you carry that a lot around as well and yeah it's just so important especially with a condition like DPDR which doesn't get talked about much you know and uh, and it's, it's important we talk about talk about that yeah. and talk about every mental health condition more so that people are more educated and can see it in themselves and also can be better friends to people they know who have it and maybe spot it in other people help other people get diagnoses and things like that it's, it's all really important yeah and it's it's because uh someone talked about it that i started to look into it so it's yeah it's definitely like it's definitely extra important for that like you have to i don't know people like especially doctors they want everything to be in a in a like a box and when people don't fit into that, we go years and years without treatment, and that's really harmful. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so difficult to get a diagnosis as well. I mean, you touched on this in, in your story. Even in the UK here, it, it's really difficult to get a diagnosis. Of, because, I, you know, I tried to get a diagnosis because I think I might be on the autistic spectrum, like, you know, mild, high-functioning ASD, and... The doctor just told me, well, a, a, a diagnosis won't benefit you. It doesn't matter if you get diagnosed or not. And I was like, you know what? It actually would. <laughs> it really would benefit me if I had a diagnosis. Uh, I just I wanted to scream kind of thing. But I, there's nothing I could do because my doctor wouldn't do anything. Uh, a, so It's a validating thing, like, to say you are actually trying your best. Like, you are actually doing everything. Yeah, especially with getting diagnosed with neurodevelopmental stuff like ASD, ADHD, and adulthood, it is so hard because people are like, "But you did well at this, you did well at that." But like, it was so much harder for me. Like, I'm sure it was so much harder for you. Like, Mm. and people don't look at that factor. They're like, "But you did it," and it's like, (laughs) "There's more to it." Yeah, you know. Yeah, this is why it's so important. We listen to each other's stories. Um, and that, that includes doctors as well. Like listen to people's experiences, what you know, and the context of what they've done. And for example, like you with you, you know, yeah, you did this, but what's the context? What's the you know? How did it? How did you get there? What did you have to do to get there? You know, what's your daily life like? You know, it, it, these are kind of basic things that we need to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Like how much. Like, I, I graduated in the top 20 of my class, but I always had to work, like, three times as hard as everyone around me. My parents were always like, you work so hard, you work so hard, why are you so hard on yourself? And, like, they still ask me that, my friends still ask me that, and I'm like, I think I've just learned 
to do that because if I don't, then I'm disappointing everybody. You know? Mm. I mean, how does having this condition, DPDR, how does that impact your day-to-day life? Uh, It doesn't as much as it used to because I've started to learn to ignore it. But um, everything everything for me feels very dreamlike, um, kind of detached, kind of... um, Like, it feels like you're living like someone is telling you about your experiences, and it feels like that all the time. Or it feels like transitioning scenes in a movie, you just sort of end up places. And you kind of know what happened in between, but your brain wasn't paying attention. Like, people will experience, like, transient states of dissociation. Like, say you kind of stare out the window and daydream during a boring work meeting. But imagine having that, even in important conversations, and you can't turn it off. And also, at the same time, you don't feel like a real person all the way. But it's not a form of psychosis. Your reality testing is in check. Like, um, I've never experienced an episode of psychosis where I broke, like, fully from reality. It's like um, everything around you still feels real, but you can't attach to it. When I first started experiencing in college... I felt all the time like there was like um, almost a layer of film over my skin and that like I couldn't get off. And I think that that was, that was so weird because I would like, I would go to the shower and I would try to scrub it off and scrub it off and scrub it off and I, I couldn't do it. Or if it gets really bad, I'll like look in the mirror and I don't recognize myself, which is a very, very disorienting feeling. Mm. It looks like a stranger is there. Or um, I've shared fears with friends about, like, it feels like my hands might be hollow, and they're like, that's, you know, you're just experiencing depersonalization, you're fine. And I'm like, you know, but I'm afraid of this, you know. And depression feeds into it, and ADHD definitely feeds into it, for sure. Because with ADHD, you also have um, a lack of ability to, like, control your attention. So, and you seek stimulation. So you're really bored and nothing feels real anyway. And you're um, hanging out in your apartment during the quarantine (laughs) and you can't pay attention to anything properly for five minutes and you have no sense of time. And then suddenly the day is gone and you don't feel like you really lived it. But I felt like that, all that stuff anyway beforehand and only the really intense stuff really like makes an impression. I'll feel it really intensely for like a few minutes and then I just like I almost like feel myself detached from it. It's like it's like a sinking in my stomach and then suddenly I just feel numb everywhere and like I don't feel present in my body anymore. And it can be like uh, certain scenes in movies, it can be conversations with friends, um, just like little things like that right now sometimes it's watching the news because it's just so intense you know like I have to be very selective about how I consume news and it can be like it can just be really stressful it can like cause so much fatigue like Mm kind of can just shut you down I try now actively to like ignore it but it is it is not easy to do (laughs) with everything going on it's like I don't 
really want this to be happening, so I don't want to pay attention to reality anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's like my life isn't quite mine, and I I miss having the act. Yeah, that makes. It does, yeah, it does. Um, and this is something that happens in your brain as well. It's not something that you yeah, have it's not power over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you can trigger states of it if you really want to. But, um, and some people actually, some people actually take drugs to try to trigger states like this, um, like more intensely, um, like psychedelics and things like that which I got to admit, I don't understand. But, you know, for me, it's not something I can really ever fully turn off. It's sort of like a tide, too. It sort of waxes and wanes with, like, stress. So, like, the more stressed I am, the worse, like, the more dissociated I'll feel, the more based out of my body I'll feel and things like that, which is also weird as, like, you still get joint pains and everything. You still get body pains and headaches and hunger. But it's not as present typically it's more like it's almost like being a marionette and like these like things are keeping you tethered to your body like physical sensations like grounding yourself things like that keep you tethered to it which is good but also like really disorienting when you realize oh i need to ground myself (laughs) yeah yeah it must be tough it must be tough you know again it's really important that to, to share all of this because we might have we might know people who are struggling with this condition and um, may not realize it or we may not know we may have it and we may not know and we may be having some symptoms and not yeah. understand what it is so it's important to again just to talk about it because that just raises awareness yeah it's quite difficult to talk about too because you don't want to freak people out mm. but because it can also be an underlying symptom of a lot of mental health conditions. So, like, there are instances where you treat that other condition and, like, dissociation stuff will, like, dissipate with that. But if it, like, persists or it's, like, episodic, that's what, like, and it's out of your control, that's where it starts to cross into disordered territory. That's where it starts to cross into, you should probably talk to a therapist about this. And I... I read everywhere, oh, this is like a rare thing. I don't think it's rare at all. I, especially given how long it took me to be listened to and how long I read about everybody else who gets listened to eventually, like it takes years for anybody to listen about it. And a lot of people in that time will get tired and stop looking for help because why would you keep looking when people aren't listening to you? It's totally yeah. reasonable. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. If you if you keep looking for help, then get it, and it's easy to get frustrated and give up, and just get on with your life, kind of thing. It, yeah, and this is yeah. It just it always it shouldn't shock me anymore, but it still does when 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 you hear about the level of ignorance about mental health conditions, and especially from doctors, uh, from medical professionals. Yeah. Right, because they should know better. They should know this stuff. Um, they're trained in this stuff. They have degrees in this stuff. They practice it. Uh, you know, they they should they should they should be more aware um, because it's a legitimate issue. It's like it's 
it frustrates me when mental health is not treated like physical health. It's like it's just as important. Uh, and it has a different. It is physical health. It's yeah. your brain. Yeah, right? it is. I mean, it affects and it affects everything else. Your mental health affects your physical health directly. Like if you're under more stress, then you then then you're more likely to have a to have high blood pressure or have high heart attack or have a heart attack or it can affect your your diet, which 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 affects your physical health. Yeah, you know, there's so many crossovers, and yeah, it's just it just baffles me how there's not more coordination and cooperation and awareness um, among medical people and therapists and, and all these kind of people crossing over doing work together because it makes so much sense and it's just and it's really really important yeah and it's it's not just with like mental health either it's like also um, like I am on um, a drug for endometriosis and I have had to like that took years to get help for too, um, to get help for any of my like ovarian cysts and stuff that I mentioned starting in freshman year. Mm. Took four years to finally get a doctor to listen to me and I had to have surgery like back to back. Like it was like two surgeries, it was really stressful year. But um like I'll go to another doctor and I'll be like, Oh, I'm on this drug and I have to look up myself if that drug counteracts with the drug they're about to give me because they don't they they don't always know if it's not in their like line of work which on the one hand i like that they know so much about their line of work but it's like it's a whole body mm. like so yeah I, I had this experience my dad has parkinson's disease um and he was on medication for a while and it was affecting his behavior and his personality and so we did some research and we found out that the side of the, one of the drugs that he was taking had had serious consequences for lots of people in terms of getting into debt, into in terms of high bisexuality and ending marriages because of the side effects of this drug. And when it was used in combination with another drug that he was taking, it was even more toxic. And yet, they were still giving it to him. And we literally had to go to the doctors and, and explain this to them before they changed it. And then eventually he got an operation, which meant that he didn't have to take the medication anymore almost at all um, and it was like a different person <laughs> he was like a different person he was like himself again uh, and it's, but we had to do a lot of that research ourselves. it wasn't the doc when the doctors should have been the ones that were doing that, it, that that's their job responsibility um, and I don't want to hammer doctors just blanket hammer doctors because some doctors are very very good um, and some therapists are very very good but um, we can all do better I think that's the, that's the kind of moral of the story I would, I would say yeah it's you don't want to say all medicine is bad because it's not absolutely, uh, absolutely. it's absolutely not yeah. but there are enough pervasive problems like with really with sexism is a big one with um mm. like there's an epidemic in the United States for uh black women dying after childbirth because they have hypertension and doctors just are like oh you're you know, you're fine, you're fine. Like, it happens to black women disproportionately. Um, it's, like, a really serious problem. There's, um, you know, like, if I go to a psychiatrist, I go to an intensive outpatient therapy, and a psychiatrist sits down with me and says, oh, that's not really what you're experiencing, even though it's why I'm there, like, I think that speaks to a pretty large problem in medicine. Like, that I can count on, like, one hand 
maybe the amount of doctors and nurses, like maybe seven total, that have actually sat down and listened to me and made me a partner in my own treatment, like, and let me advocate for myself, like, how rare that is. And it's, and I hear these stories all the time. It's why I hear people say I self-diagnosed because I couldn't get in. And I'm like, I, I used to be so against, like, self-diagnosis, but now I'm like, you know what? The system is so utterly broken. I, if that's, like, what helps you read about stuff that'll help you and helps yourself, I don't really see a problem with it because there are a lot of people who have conditions who will never get the help they need. That's right, the yeah, point. absolutely, yeah. And like you, like you, like you say, yeah, I, I, I was the same in terms of, like, self-diagnosis is a bit dangerous. And I think... I do think if you're going to self-diagnose, you need to do your research. I think it's really important to do your research and do your research in the right places uh, and do extensive research and yeah. do it from a neutral perspective, not one with, I'm looking for a way to justify my symptoms, but in terms of, I want to find out about all these conditions and then do I exhibit these symptoms? Um, and if you do that and you do the research, which you probably shouldn't have to do, let's be honest, but this is the reality we're faced with, uh, if you do the research and then you find, yeah, I'm exhibiting all of these or some of these symptoms, uh, then, yeah, there's this perfectly legitimate thing to do. Um, uh, because in the information age, we have so much information that we can get hold of and so much research we can access. So that it's possible to, to do that. Um, and it's silly. that it, and it sounds ridiculous that we should have to do that in the 21st century, you know, in 2020. It's just... Uh, but but here we are, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to say it's like always totally correct because mm. obviously not. But um, absolutely. It, like doctors are so often also incorrect, and like you're not supposed to question them. But at the same time, I'm like, I went through so many years of hell because I blanket trusted these doctors, and like I wish now I'm like I wish I hadn't, but also. I felt like that's what I was supposed to be doing and they were wrong <laughs> and it's like it, it just leaves me with so much like anger you know yeah. it's, no, same. Yeah. how was your job why did it become my job you know yeah, but, I don't know. yeah. Well, so so you started to do a lot of I've seen a lot of your artwork and um, a lot of writing that you've done and stuff as well and you do a lot of creative things around all of this um, so tell us a bit about that and your how this was and how your creative journey kind of intersected with your kind of your mental health journey well um, I've been making art since I could hold a crown <laughs> my parents <laughs> said before I could like even talk I was drawing we had a cat pumpkin my first thing was actually put in a gallery and I was in kindergarten, even though I didn't really understand what was happening at the time. But um, it was up there for like years and we actually have it back now, but it was up there for like like 20 years, um, which was pretty cool. But it mostly just like drawing was just a form of expression. And then, um, and the, Georgia O'Keefe actually put it really well, but she's like, I found that I could put things on canvas that, um, I have no words for, and that's a summary of the quote, but 
I think that's a really good way of putting it. But then when I started writing a few years ago, I found like people were like, oh, I really like this. And that like motivated me to keep doing it. And then from there, um, I think a lot of subconscious things emerge when you just sit down with paper and you just let yourself go at it. Like a lot of things you didn't really realize were there. Mm -hmm. I have like a pattern in my art where everybody looks like they're kind of asleep or dreaming, which has been going on for years, and I did not even pick up on until, like, last week. And I was like, what? Wow. Why? Because like, I can draw eyes. I'm like, why do you all look like you're, like, dreaming? Or, like, you know, I, like, it's like a recurring thing. Interesting. With writing, um, I, I do blog. Um, I, I really like memoir writing. Um, I like to write horror stories. It's a really good way to deal with abstract fears. And with the YouTube channel, originally it was an art channel, but I wasn't really getting traction with that. And honestly, it really interfered with my creative process. So I decided instead to talk about pop culture and mental health because I'm like, I feel like more people can relate to that. And so that's what I'm working on now. And actually, I have to try to write a video script after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw your one of your recent ones, which was talking about well, something that I've been something that I've been thinking about, which was why people are watching. Why are pandemic movies trending? Yeah, exactly. Because I, I was like looking at my Apple TV, <laughs> yeah. and it said trending movies, and it was like Contagion, you know, Shaun of the Dead, Twenty Eight Days Later, and I'm like outbreak yeah yeah like, what's going on something's going on here in collective consciousness what then what is it you know so i had that same thought and then i saw the video and i was like yeah 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 i completely get this this is this makes so much sense so i highly recommend the video channel yes thank you i i really worked hard on that so i appreciate that yeah and it's it's a really i think it's a good question and i don't think it's one people often ask like in that direct of a way why do people watch what they watch and that's part of what interests me about like this fictional representation stuff. Like, what do you connect with? Why? Um, like, and I want to get more abstract over time, but like, I think people connect more with characters. So that's what I'm going to be doing for a little while. Like, right now, it's um, working on a video about Gene from Bob's Burgers has ADHD. I believe Linda does too. Um, somebody has also put up there that Louise has it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I could see it. And um, a lot of people have put forward that they see themselves in Tina as um, being on the autism spectrum, too. So I'm like, those are all like great topics, I feel like. And I feel like it's a really wholesome show. Like, if you ever, like, they have a really healthy family relationship, unlike The Simpsons, which I grew up on The Simpsons, but they all hate each other. Yeah, and I, 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 I'm the same as you. I mean, I, I, I've always fiction for me. I've always connected with fiction in movies or TV better than I have in books. I'm quite a visual person, even though I'm a writer, <laughs> which is really bizarre. Um, but I think I picked up like storytelling from watching loads of movies, and just the, you know, good movies that were well written, which use kind of the hero's journey, especially you pick it up, it kind of becomes part of your subconscious almost. Uh, and I, I, and one of the, I, I love comic book movies growing up, you know, Superman and Batman and all these characters, and then getting, obviously, that's become really popular recently. But I, I was always fascinated about their character arcs and 
what's going on inside of them. Like, I mean, like, I was talking to this to somebody about Batman the other day. Like, the psychology of that character is just... And somebody who lost a parent as well, I could relate to the anger that he has and the guilt. Because um, I experienced that myself when I lost, you know, in the aftermath of, of losing a parent. And so it's really interesting when you examine these characters because it, it actually helps you... For me, it helped me feel like I wasn't alone and yeah. helped me understand myself better as well. So, yeah. yeah, and that's, that's so important, like, for sure. Like, And Batman's a great example of, like, grief in action, I mm. feel like. Um, there are several in Marvel um, that I, I... I'm a huge Marvel person that I would love to do videos about. Like, Tony Stark in the new Marvel movies has PTSD. Like, that's what Iron Man 3 is all about. Like, yeah, he has absolutely. All yeah. has, like, and um, he also exhibits traits of ADHD. So does Spider-Man. Like, they both, very quick thinking, very impulsive, very emotionally reactive people who, um, like, yeah. obviously different life experience. But, I, like, yeah, you see yourself in these characters and you're like, oh, like, I am not, you know, and I think that's also why, starting with broader representation, that's why, like, people are pushing so hard for, like, more representation of, like, queer people, of um, um, indigenous people, of, like, um, people of color. And it's so important when you actually get it, too. Like, Miles Morales and, like, the new Spider-Man movie, like... Yeah, Black Panther as well. It warms my heart. Yeah, I love that movie. I loved that movie. So, so much. It's so good. And they're making a sequel, aren't they? Yeah, um, which yeah, they are. About, I would be uh, really surprised if they didn't. Like, how and, they didn't make so much money. And then Black <laughs> Panther as well, I was, was got a huge reception. That was the first kind of superhero movie, live action one, which centred a black character. That was, And it was huge. It was, yeah. it was a kind of, it came from nowhere. Nobody was expecting it to be as big as it was. And it was just massive. And it was brilliant. I, I loved it. And um, yeah, so yeah, more of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always resonated with with uh, in, in in Marvel. I always resonated with Steve Rogers' story because it's a oh. like being bullied. I was bullied when I was younger, right? So I was always the little guy, and I was always the always the kind of idealistic one as well. And um, and then his whole story is kind of a. His character arc over the movies is like a deconstruction story. It's, mm. you know, where he kind of loses faith in all the institutions and stuff that he was brought up in um, and starts trust, starts connecting with himself and his own identity and his own, you know, and embodiment, you know. And at the end of the character arc, he's fully himself again. It's kind of like he has to lose himself to find himself. And I, I connected so much with that. Um, yeah. so he's, he's one of my favourites. Too, like, yeah, Chris um, Evans, everyone loves him. <laughs> like, it just to watch him go from like, oh, this is like ideal, and then it, when he gets turned into a super soldier, the first thing they do with him is make him propaganda, they don't even use him. And I feel like that's yeah. where he starts to be like, there's something wrong here. <laughs> like, yeah, he's always rebelling against the system, he's never, you know, he's he's yeah, that's right. Um, and it's interesting. Like I, we're going off on a bit of a tangent, but it's but it's an interesting one. Um, that you know, Tony Stark starts out as kind of the the rebel, the rebel against the establishment, and 
wanted to tear everything down and stuff and questioning everything. And then when you get to Civil War, and, and Captain America starts out as the establishment guy. And then when you get to Civil War, they completely swap places. It's yeah. it's really interesting that they, how that happens. And, yeah. <laughs> And like um, the reasoning why and the yeah yeah because because Tony Stark can't deal with his trauma, so he kind yeah. of retreats into kind of his certainty a little bit. Um, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, like, it does. It absolutely does. As and a character, it makes sense. Like the, I hate when people are like, "This character did a dumb thing," and I'm like, "But did it make sense for that character to do that?" And yeah. if it did, then I'm yeah. willing to go with it. If it was like out of character, then I think that's like bad writing. But if it was like that's in character, yeah. that makes sense. We know their motivation. We know their world. Then it, it, I feel like it's fine. <laughs> yeah, because that moment when he finds out about his mother, like, yeah. uh, like that's I, I connected with that. If like if I wouldn't care who it was, if somebody if I found out somebody had killed my mother, like I, I and I hadn't known that, and somebody had hidden that from me. Yeah. yeah, I would have reacted quite strongly. So I completely, that was, even though I was kind of on Cap's side in that movie, I completely connected with Tony in that moment because it was like, yeah, yeah, he's got every right to feel like that and react like that. That is totally in character to do that. I feel like that's what makes it such an interesting movie. Like, is that, and I feel like that's also um, what makes, like, well written villains, when they are well written, interesting. Like, Killmonger is a really great villain. Because you can sit there and go, I'm, I feel why you're angry, like, and you you empathize with them. Like, you don't just, like, oh, this guy's bad because bad. Like, Killmonger's angry because he could have had access to resources and, like, consistent, like, protection and things, and he never did just because he was just left behind. The villain's but, story is always really interesting, and they're quite terrifying sometimes as yeah. well. Um, yeah, definitely a tangent, but a good one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a whole—that's a whole. I mean, I've done a couple of podcast episodes on on this kind of thing because I think it's really interesting for me, and that was—it's part. It's a really big part of my story, all of that. So it's, um, but it's interesting that, that that I mean that that work you're doing and connecting that with your advocacy with mental for mental health and is is really important work. Um, yeah. So I'm um, looking forward to seeing more of that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of more of that, um, they won't be able to see this on the podcast, but you can see on Zoom my Midsummer poster. Yeah. And I wrote a whole thing. I'm going to make it eventually into a video as well about um, how that movie reflects depersonalization, derealization disorder, like, and how her experiences reflect it. Like, it was so, like, viscerally personal to me. Like, I walked out and I went to my car and I just stopped. Like, it was so, so close to home. And I'm like, eventually I need to make this a video. But I, and it's, I'm so far behind on everything. But I, it will happen. Um, and I, I think it's important to do that because so, so much of it is also auditory. Yeah. And, like, what the realization can do to you, what it can feel like, and things like that. But, yeah, that movie, for sure. Like, and that's why I love it, I think, so much. I hate to see that movie. I hate to see that movie. It is good. It's disturbing, but... Yeah, I have to be careful what movies I watch because of being highly sensitive. Yeah, Um, yeah. Because I internalise everything. You know, I only realised this when I watched Joker last year, which is another whole terrifying movie about mental health. You know, um... 
I had I mean I had nightmares about that from weeks, oh. months, like I couldn't sleep, I got insomnia, all because of that movie and internalizing it and some of the imagery from it and everything, it just yeah. Um so I decided like right, okay, I need to make sure that I need to take care of what I watch because it's clearly affects me, you know, um and I'm very intentional about what I watch and, and don't watch now because it's uh Again, you've got to protect your own mental health. So, Absolutely, yeah. Um, there's a really great website that I consult all the time for that um, reason called Unconsenting Media, and it lists, like, movies um, that are in TV shows where, like, sexual assault or um, is shown, implied, talked about, like, and what happens, like, and in what episode. And I'm like, that is such... It's such a good resource. Yeah. <laughs> like, because if... I walk in and I'm like aware, oh, this is something that could upset you, then I'm going to do so much better than if I walk in blind. Like, yeah, absolutely. I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Well, yeah and nothing about Midsummer triggered me for that reason, but, um, like, yeah, there are other movies where it's like, you walk in, you're like, you're just smacked in the face, like, like yeah. you were with Joker. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen that once, so I won't see it again. You know. That's one I think would be interesting to make a video about, but it's... It would be, yeah, but but it's I difficult to do. I don't know if I think it's a good representation of mental illness, but at the same time, Joaquin Phoenix's performance is so good. Mm. Like, it's thoroughly disturbing how good he is at that. I don't know, my feelings on that movie are very conflicted. Yeah, very yeah that's right. And I wrote something at the time about why that movie scares us. Um, oh, you send it to me. <laughs> um, I will. Um, and I'll put it on my Twitter feed for everybody as well. So if you're listening to your, um Although I don't know when this is going to go out. So I <laughs> but I, well, I'll, put it out, I'll put it out when I put this, this podcast out so people can read it. But um, yeah, so... Well, this has been a really great conversation. I really enjoyed this. Um, and thank you for sharing your story. Um, Thank you for having me on. It was good. Um, so, I mean, what would be, just to finish, like one one word of wisdom or encouragement that you would want to share with people who mm. are maybe going through what you, you've been through? Um, I would say if you feel like your doctor is not listening to you, like, you've been there a few times and they still are, like, putting you on meds that make things so much worse or dismissing you. I know it's hard to find a new doctor, but please try to find a new doctor, like, if that's happening. Because you can you can lose years of your life if they, do, if they don't know what they're doing. And it's so much better to go a little while without treatment or to if you need to go to the hospital for a little bit than it is to continue to go to someone who will push meds at you that do not work like mm-hmm. the same goes for therapy if you're seeing a therapist and you're like I've spent say you spend like maybe a month with them and you're like I don't feel like this person's hearing me I don't feel like they're listening I know it's hard but try to find a new therapist if that happens yeah I would say for sure like just keep advocating for yourself because 
there are so many things and so many people who don't get properly diagnosed and they lose so much time and nobody deserves that yeah great advice that's great advice thank you um and where can people find you online uh i'm secret lady spider everywhere um on twitter the first e is removed um but on youtube uh secret lady spider it's all just one word it doesn't mean anything it's just three words i randomly smashed together in seventh grade because everybody asks it doesn't mean anything at all but on that on twitter on instagram it is secret lady spider art artist and secret lady spider two separate accounts one where i kind of blog and one where i don't and i'm also on like wordpress ink it um i'm all over the place i i, I do everything under the sun great <laughs> fantastic well do connect with Elle's work it's really really great um she's really really great thank you for coming on the show yeah again thank you for having me so very good thanks for listening everyone